Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Up next, a woman is gunned down in a crowded parking lot. This was six days after Heather's 25th birthday. The murder looks like a professional hit. Our victim had a single gunshot wound to the forehead. Evidence reveals a killer with an elaborate plan. This was no spur-of-the-moment act of vengeance. But how many enemies can a church-going young mother have? It was pretty intense for us to get to the bottom of it, try to find out what was going on. At six o'clock on a Sunday evening in the spring of 2009, Heather Strube met her soon-to-be ex-husband, Stephen, in a shopping center parking lot near Atlanta, Georgia. As part of a regular routine, they were exchanging custody of their 19-month-old child, a little boy named Carson. Because of the issues they were having during this divorce, they decided to meet at this particular shopping center parking lot because it was in the open, there were people there, and... They just felt that was the best place to meet. As Stephen drove away, Heather took baby Carson and strapped him into the car seat in her SUV. This was an everyday sort of occurrence, nothing unusual about it. But there was someone who seemed unusual in the parking lot that afternoon, and a lot of people took notice. The callers reported seeing a strange person walking about the parking lot, short male, mustache, kind of a bushy haircut, kind of an unusual look. And it drew the attention of the eyewitnesses that were in the parking lot. The person walked up to Heather Strube. The two exchanged words. Then, to the horror of onlookers, drew a pistol from a shoulder bag and shot Heather point blank in the head. Calls from witnesses flooded into emergency dispatch. Can I have a police? No, listen, County, unless someone says Sheriff the Target on 124, they say someone just got shot. Okay. She's right behind the border and bookstore about, about Burgundy uh, Cadillac Escalade. You know, she did it or somebody else shot her? No, somebody else, okay. a male shot her. Police arrived to find Heather dead. The absence of a shell casing uh, led us to believe that it had to have been a revolver that the, the suspect would have used. Baby Carson was unharmed. All told, a half dozen people called 911. Their descriptions of what happened and of the shooter were remarkably similar. 
The reports on the 911 calls were consistent. They reported that the shooter calmly turned and walked away from the scene, walked behind the shopping center where the witnesses lost sight of him. The witnesses, and even police, were shocked by what they'd seen. This murder was the type of murder that really disturbs the community. The entire community feels vulnerable when in broad daylight, someone is murdered in a parking lot. And as the witnesses recounted what they saw, it got even more disturbing. All of them said the shooter and the victim appeared to know each other. Clearly, robbery wasn't the motive. All of the victim's belongings were still in the van. Some of those were valuable. None of those items were taken. It was apparent to us that someone knew that Heather would be in that parking lot at that time to make the exchange of the child. But who would want to kill Heather Struve? She grew up locally, worked at her parents' flower shop, was active in her church. A young woman liked and respected by everyone. We felt like from the start it had something to do with Carson. And so we became very fearful because if we had Carson in our custody, were we going to be a target? But if this murder had something to do with baby Carson, why did the shooter leave him in the vehicle? Police, the family, the community, everyone was baffled by what happened. This crime didn't fit into our usual categories of robbery, domestic killing, drug deal gone bad. This was different. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Heather Strube's murder, an execution-style hit, in broad daylight, in a public space, had the community of Snellville, Georgia, reeling. It's highly unusual for us because we have so few violent crimes in our city. At the time, that was like the sixth murder in the history of our city. The medical examiner conducted an autopsy of Heather, and inside the cranial vault, she located the bullet that killed Heather. They were able to determine forensically that this bullet was fired by a 38 caliber Rossi or Taurus firearm. After the shooting, the killer never touched the victim or the vehicle, so there were no fingerprints or other physical evidence at the scene. But police had something going for them. Multiple witnesses and surveillance cameras. There were two primary surveillance cameras in the front of the shopping center. 
One of them was located on the roof and had a very wide view and sort of swept left and right. A second camera, an older model, showed the parking lot and the area where the shooter walked into the woods. In a bad break, neither of these cameras caught the actual shooting. The camera was panning to the opposite side of the parking lot. It was very disappointing. But the second camera did capture images of the shooter walking to and from the scene. The older system was very grainy. It was VHS-based. And it took one picture every second or two. So you could look at the sequential pictures and get an idea of the size of the person, how they were walking, a little bit about their description, but not enough to identify a face, jewelry, tattoos, anything like that that might be a positive identification of the shooter. But the video did show the person who shot Heather had an unusual way of walking. It's a gait that you could say that it's very unique. That's not the normal gait that you would expect to see. One can look at the various photographs sequentially that are taken by the video and see that the person takes extremely long steps and straightens out the knee of the front leg when they walk. This was rather compelling evidence. In an attempt to create a likeness of the shooter, the witnesses who called 911 were sent to a forensic artist. We had a high volume of eyewitnesses in this case. Despite the unusual number of witnesses, there was striking agreement among their descriptions. All of the witnesses said the shooter was a very slight man, between five foot five and five foot eight. And most important, there was something very odd about the suspect's hair. At least one of the witnesses identified this crazy hairdo as possibly a wig. The most distinctive thing they reported was this wig that looked somewhat laden like Sonny Bono, but they called it a, a wig and a mustache. This was the composite sketch that was ultimately released to the media. Even veteran police officers said they'd never seen anything quite like it. The sketch was interesting. It had showed like a wild hairdo and a mustache that was kind of strange looking. The artist's sketch almost looked like a clown-like figure, not very realistic. But then we realized that the witness statements also described the shooter as having a clown, strange-like appearance. Now things got even stranger. All the evidence indicated Heather Strube knew her killer. Yet no one, not Heather's friends, not her family, not her co-workers, had any idea who this person was. Detectives were coming to an uncomfortable conclusion. Perhaps the killer had been wearing a disguise. Quite frankly, I have never worked a homicide case where the shooter wore a disguise. This was a first for me. Heather Strube's bizarre murder was big news across the Atlanta metro area. So when police released this composite sketch of the shooter, it generated a lot of interest. And it caught the eye of a truck driver who happened to be staying in a hotel near the shopping center at the time of Heather's murder. He observed a white pickup truck in the parking lot. And he observed someone sitting in the driver's seat that looked rather crazy. I had a wild hairdo and a mustache. 
For now, this didn't help much in identifying Heather's killer, but the truck driver had more information. He looks at cars all day long, and he said that he would recognize this car when he saw it again. It was an older model, white F-150, and had a little bit of trim on it that wasn't common to all such vehicles. Why was this important? Because the Strube family owned an F-150, and Stephen Strube, Heather's soon-to-be ex-husband, had a possible motive to harm her. Custody of their 19-month-old son, Carson, had become contentious. There was a custody dispute. I mean, Stephen wanted to be the, the primary caregiver. But Stephen was seen driving away in his own vehicle, not the family truck. Right after he gave Heather the baby, he wouldn't have had time to double back and commit the murder. Perhaps most important, he was six feet tall, much taller than all the descriptions of the shooter. Stephen could not have been the one that actually pulled the trigger. Detectives turned back to their key witness, the truck driver who got a good look at the shooter and the shooter's truck, an F-150. We just asked this person, this witness, if he would be willing to ride with us to take a look at a pickup truck to see if it looked like the pickup truck he saw. The witness took one look at the Strube family truck and made a positive identification. He was 100% confident that that was the same vehicle that he saw in the motel parking lot behind the shopping center. This was enough for police to get a search warrant. Being an older model truck like that, you would expect there to be all kinds of fibers, all kinds of uh, particles in the carpet or on the seat or wherever, but it was just immaculate. It wasn't a new truck, but it was a clean truck. The only piece of visible evidence was a receipt for ice cream dated the day Heather was killed. It was from a fast food restaurant about an hour's drive from the site of the murder. Joanna Hayes, Stephen's 43-year-old mother, freely admitted she was the one driving the family truck and said she'd driven it on the day of Heather's murder. She indicated that she stopped and bought the ice cream on the way to her parents' house. This appeared to put enough distance between Joanna and the murder that she could not be the shooter. Forensic analysts now did an extensive search of the truck. They went over every interior surface with what are known as tape lifts. They're like big pieces of tape that they put down onto the floor, they smooth it out, they peel it back. Even though the truck had been extensively cleaned, analysts found something. It looked like a single black hair. It was sent to Chris Thompson of Fiber Visions, an international manufacturer of synthetic fibers, using infrared analysis as well as light microscopy. Thompson determined the fiber had several unusual qualities. It did not contain any texture, and it was pigmented. So kind of limits the number of applications or products that it can go into. The fiber's length, four inches, was also uncommon. The length was consistent with something you might find in a wig. And that wasn't all the tape lifts recovered from inside the Stroop's truck. Trace elements of gunshot residue were also found. This residue is almost impossible to completely clean up. This trace minute evidence is more common than most people realize. The evidence was compelling. The killer was almost certainly driving the Strube family truck the evening of the murder. But who was behind the wheel? 
who handled the gun? Who wore the wig? We were not able to come up with a single piece of direct evidence concerning the guilt of anyone in this case. A wig fiber and gunshot residue told detectives that Heather Strube's killer was most likely driving the Strube family truck. Joanna Hayes, Heather's mother-in-law, admitted driving that truck that very day. But she claimed she couldn't be the killer because she had an alibi, a receipt for ice cream from a restaurant an hour away from the murder showed she could not be Heather's killer. When we found the receipt and we looked at it because she was adamant that she couldn't have done it. Joanna did have a motive. She didn't want to share custody of her grandson with Heather. But even prosecutors had to admit that a single wig fiber and traces of gunshot residue made for a thin case. So they gambled. They brought in Stephen Strube and showed him their surveillance tape of the shooter recorded at the scene. We began to ask him if it looked like anybody he knew. And he began to really look hard at the video. That's her, isn't it? You saw it. You know your own mom. That could be. I thought it was skinny. No, you know. Holy crap. It's her in this dude. Oh, my God. It is apparent from not only what he said, but how he reacted, that he recognized his mother. Oh, my God. Please tell me that she did You know she did, and I thought so. Prodded by detectives, Stephen agreed to call his mother while they listened in. I just left the uh, police station. Hey. Uh, they showed me the videotape. Yeah. It looks like you. It looks like me. Mom, why did you do it? Bob, it looks like you. And you told him you Yes. So I guess they'll be coming here tonight to arrest me then, huh? She didn't act like most people would, where she just came right out and said, you're crazy. I didn't do this. Detectives now looked hard at Joanna's alibi, that she was an hour away from the murder buying ice cream. We knew after looking at the receipt for the ice cream purchase that she was there at 719. Heather was shot at 6 o'clock. Could Joanna have been at the site of the murder and the fast food restaurant 64 miles away? Could she have been in both places? We decided to drive from the shopping center to the chain restaurant where she purchased the ice cream. And we were able to determine that she had plenty of time to commit the murder and drive to the store to purchase ice cream. Joanna also had another possible connection. She once owned a gun like the murder weapon, a 38 caliber. Joanna Hayes' ex-husband had stated that before their divorce, she had access to that type of weapon. When questioned, Joanna still denied any involvement. His son showed him the film of the person who shot her and said, Did you? 
told us. Is he lying? I don't know, maybe we need to go get his glasses. When confronted with the evidence we had against her, she was not convinced that we had enough. And prosecutors worried she might be right. The murder weapon hadn't been found, and neither was any sort of wig. And every single witness, and there were a lot, said the shooter was a man. I had to overcome the evidence of my own witnesses, saying that they described a male shooter. That's a high burden. In May of 2011, Joanna Hayes stood in court facing a felony murder charge. Stephen Strube was cleared of any involvement. Prosecutors said Joanna had an elaborate plan for killing her daughter-in-law. Joanna donned the disguise, the wig and mustache, in an attempt to hide her identity. She waited in the parking lot for Heather and Stephen to exchange the baby. Once she was sure the baby was secure in his car seat, she approached Heather. No one knows what they said to each other, but Joanna let her gun do the talking and essentially executed Heather in broad daylight. She drove 64 miles away and bought ice cream in an attempt to create an alibi. But police proved that she could have made the drive in plenty of time. Joanna didn't realize she left a single wig fiber and gunshot residue behind. Clear proof that whoever drove the truck was Heather's killer. Where Joanna got rid of the 38 caliber in the wig, no one knows. In the end, the most damning evidence came from her son, Stephen, who recognized her from this scratchy surveillance video. Oh my God. Based upon the quality of that videotape, a stranger could probably never identify anyone to any degree of certainty. But it's different. To identify a family member that you've lived with your whole life? A jury agreed. Joanna Hayes was convicted and sentenced to life in prison, plus five years probation. She still maintains her innocence. Prosecution used your son's own words against you. I know. And now he's got to live with that. Because they dangled his son as a carrot in front of him. They told him repeatedly, call your mom, do this, and we will go help you get your son. Stephen later retracted his identification of his mother. Heather's father has primary custody of baby Carson. In abiding piece of irony, Joanna can have no contact with the grandson she was willing to kill for. Carson has a laugh that very much reminds me of Heather. When we lost Heather, that was just a hole in my heart that's, that's never going to heal. Joanna Hayes almost pulled off the perfect crime, closer to committing the perfect crime than anybody I ever saw. Of all the murders I've prosecuted, very seldom do I see a planned, calculated, cold-hearted, cold-blooded murder like this one. This one was different. What made it different was Joanna Hayes. She's just the most evil defendant I've ever convicted of murder. Mm -hmm.